Welcome to episode 26 of the Muck Podcast, where we discuss the dark and sometimes weird true stories in American politics. I'm Tina Jaramillo. And I'm Hillary Doherty. Hillary. <laughs> you were just saying something that I wish, I'm going to repeat it because I wish it had been on mic. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the weight of responsibility is too much. Like you were saying, yes. you wish you were young again. I mean, me too. I just sometimes, uh, I did wait. I think both of us, we waited pretty you know, whatever is long to, yes. to have kids. Thank God though. So we had our twenties, right? We oh had a little God. bit, a little bit. Of, yeah. I had my daughter at 30. So yeah. I had my twenties to like Same. work and travel and, and have fun and so much fun. I'm encouraging my children to do the same thing. Like, like, Hey, this is what your twenties is for. Yes. I mean, Same. God bless people who have their kids in their twenties, but I, I feel like it kind of, I don't, I also don't know how, what kind of mom I would be in my twenties. I would, I, I wouldn't I, have been, wouldn't have been as patient or wise. No, yeah, no, 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 no. <laughs> you know, no. you lose a lot, but you also then have kids out of the house earlier. You have them out plus. of the house earlier, which is a plus. Yeah. But then the things that you did in your twenties, you're never going to do in your forties. You know what I mean? Yes. Like when your kids are gone, you're like, oh, then I'll get to do this and this. It's, you're not going to have the same sort of, uh, just disregard, like, I'll do it. You know what I mean? Taking chances and just right. being stupid. Right. The 20s are for really being stupid, and you, you don't have the luxury of stupidity when you're in your 40s. Yeah. Right? And I feel like I was more, <laughs> like, with my job. I had my more job carefree. that I had, like, you know, and I had yeah. more money in my 30s. Like, I feel like I was more more ready and settled to yes. do that, to be a parent. And I was okay with, like, I had so much fun that I'm like, I'm good now. I can focus on this. Yes. You know? And I think people, well, in different generations, it was different times where there was a, a different level of maturity when people mm -hmm. were in their 20s than I think my generation. Yeah. But, you know, know, how's your week been? It, it's been okay. I sewed. I made, um, I'm I'm wearing a little mask that I made. I made masks this week. So that was, cool. yeah, a lot of trial and error. Yeah. my I was telling my son that you were making masks and he said, um, Tina knows how to stitch. And I was like, yeah, she does. <laughs> <laughs> she knows oh. how to stitch. She knows how to cook. She's a all around, uh, oh. all around lady. <laughs> oh my god, a product, a product of uh, you know an Italian upbringing. <laughs> yeah, but these are skills. They are skills, but you know, um, oftentimes I wonder if it's you know, do I do these things because I truly love them, or is it part of this ingrained expectation? You know what I mean? I know. But here's the thing I know about you, that you're very creative. I, do I know like, that you take I do a, like to make stuff. Yes. And yeah. I think that you take a lot of pride in the things that you make and you do it because you want to, you know, if you have yes. to go out and buy a mask, it's not the same. Like you yes. making it, I think it's, well, is or cool. if my husband was like, get at that machine and make me a mask, I'd be <laughs> like, screw you. <laughs> so I think that's the difference where it's yeah. not, he doesn't expect me to do any of it. Yeah. So if, if he did, I probably would do none of it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, oh, I hear you. I know. Well. Oh, oh, one oh, quick oh, oh. thing. Okay. I saw a raccoon. I'm just giving you a bird bath update. I oh, saw a no. raccoon trying to get into the bird bath no, yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, look at, he's right. I'm looking out the window, looking at this fucking bird bath. Oh. There's a raccoon climbing, trying to climb in to get, it was so big. It couldn't, it couldn't get in it. It was in the middle of the afternoon, by the way. Like, uh -oh. I know. I That's said, not to, good. I know. I said to my husband, like, I don't think this is supposed to be happening right now. No. So I think they say, it, like, raccoons in the daytime, you have yeah. to be careful because they could be rabbits. Yes. And our, oh, our no. the older lady uh, who lives behind us was outside, and I was like, God, I hope she goes back, runs back inside <laughs> away because that thing's coming. Oh, yeah. So there's my there's my my bird bath update. I like that though. Yeah. I need to go. I'm going to have to go take a look at your bird bath. Oh girl, please. <laughs> You'll be all right. Maybe I'll put a picture up on our Instagram of the yes. bird bath. Oh my God, please. <laughs> okay. That would be amazing. Okay. That would be fun. <laughs> all right. So. Oh wait, one more thing. Okay. Sorry, sorry, no, sorry. No, no, So episode 24, um, we're recording 26 of course right yes. now. Uh, so 24 came out last week because of course we've said before we're two weeks ahead and I believe I said Martha P. Johnson instead of Marsha P. Johnson when I was talking oh. about LGBTQ rights and I don't know what the where the hell my brain was like I don't know why I said Martha instead of Marsha of course I know it's Marsha and I just wanted to give that correction 
Um, totally embarrassed because I'm a huge fan, of course, of Martha. P. Marsh. <gasps> I see. I said it again. Marsha P. Johnson. I got Martha, Martha, Martha on my brain. Ah, uh, I <laughs> so. didn't even. I didn't either. I didn't notice it when when I was editing it. And then when I was listening to it, when it came out last week, I go, oh, that's nice. (laughs) It's been sitting there for two weeks, not being noticed. So my bad. Um, But of course, it is your turn to go first this week. Yes. All right, let's do it. All right. So today I'm going to tell you the story of the Wilmington Massacre of 1898. Holy cow. Yes. So, um... I got the story. So I have my lovely, lovely, lovely friend, Liz, who is moving away and it's making me very sad. And she's moving to Wilmington, uh, North Carolina. And she and her husband, Ken, um, and Ken, they both listen to the show. Oh, hey, thanks for listening. Also, how dare you leave Florida? Like, why are good people leaving Florida? I know. We need you here. I know. Please don't abandon us in the swamp. (laughs) The swamp. Oh, goodness. So they are, yeah, they're leaving. And they were telling me, we had like a little visit, and they were telling me about Wilmington and some of the history. And they told me a little bit about the story. And I was like, I have to look this up for the show. It was so interesting. So thank you guys for the idea. And I love you and I miss you so much. Because they'll be, they'll be up there when this comes out oh my gosh so this is happening quickly yes, yes. well congratulations I, I are they retiring are they oh moving no up there to please work? no they're, they're young they're babies yeah oh, okay gosh have so much fun yeah they're moving to be closer to family and they have a beautiful new home and i'm so just excited for Aww, their future that's yeah. amazing congratulations yes. yay all right so during the reconstruction mm. blacks in wilmington north carolina yielded a lot of political power They built thriving businesses. Uh, There was a strong local newspaper. But Mm. when Southern Democrats, made up of several white supremacists, wanted to reclaim Wilmington, Mm. it led to the only coup d'etat on American soil. Now, there are some other historians who say, like, there were many of these. um, But this... um, a lot of the sources say like this was the main coup that like actually happened on American soil, and we've I've never learned this yeah. in history. Yeah, um, and this is one of the things um, that I think is really important is that you know we need to change the way that history is taught in schools because it's very whitewashed. Yeah, and in order for change to happen, it's got to happen with kids, and they have to learn history the right way. You know, my so, sister's a teacher. And she, oh, she loves the podcast. Shout out, shout out to my sister. Shout out, shout out to my sister. I'm such a geek. I can't do it. My sister, Jen, she called me this week and was like praising the podcast. She wants to meet you so badly. But, um, she was telling me, she was trying to give me Andrew Jackson as like, you should do Andrew Jackson, which Ugh. I think would be a great person to cover because there's so horrible. much, cra- yeah, crappy yeah, shit. He's, he's but she disgusting. taught in Florida, but she's, and she's also taught in North Carolina where she lives. And oh. she said the way that history is taught in those two different states about Andrew Jackson is totally different. Oh, I can imagine. Yeah, it's like probably here he's terrible there. It's like, well, you know, yeah, yeah. yeah I can imagine because this story, which takes place in North Carolina, mm-hmm. Um, the way that kids learned about this story is very, very different yeah. than, than the then real we, truth of it. Yeah. So, all right. So, um, Wilmington, North Carolina today is, um, you know, and then it was a coastal southeastern port city. Um, and after the Civil War, uh, the city built a strong community with elect- elected officials from what was known then as the Fusion Party. So, the Fusion Party consisted of black Republicans and populist party members who worked together in the government in this sort of post-Reconstruction era. And it's like the late 1800s to about um, 1904. So with the populace, they were made up of farmers, and it was economic issues that really drove the farmers, the, the white farmers, to work with the black Republicans because they had like the, the similar economic issues, and that's kind of what made this cross-racial Right. Alliance happened. And so today, the, when we hear populist, it's a more right wing term. But back then it was different. So. OK. And the same thing, like when we talk about like the Republican Party and the Democratic Party, the Southern Democrats, there's that shift that happened um, where the parties flipped. Mm-hmm. Right. And so it's that. And that's the thing that drives me nuts when Republicans are like Lincoln and this. And it's yes. like, actually, there was this shift that happened in the late 1800s, early 1900s, where um, 
the Republicans became more conservative and the Democrats became more liberal and there was that 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 break, right? But that part's never mentioned. <laughs> that part of history gets a little erased. But according to Timothy Tyson's News and Observer article, the new fusion party called for things like, quote, free public education, electoral reforms that would give black men the same voting rights as whites. And Tyson further explains that the fusion party won every seat in the 1894 and 1896 elections in Wilmington. And additionally, most of the 10,000 folks who made up the population of Wilmington, and at the time it was the largest city, it no longer is, but at the time that this occurred, were black. And it was thriving black businesses, black political um, officials, and it had, there was the strong rising black middle class. Oh, it's amazing. It's amazing. Yeah. And according to the Zinn Education Project, quote, three out of the 10 aldermen were African-Americans and black people worked as policemen, firemen, and magistrates. Like, it's incredible. Democrats, mm. more specifically at the time, the Southern Democrats wanted, again, they wanted to regain, regain the political power. And you have to think that this is a port city, right? And any city that has access to a port and water, that's going to be trade. right. Right. And that's money and that's power. And they resented the changes that were brought about by the Reconstruction. They resented the 14th Amendment, which we know granted citizenship to everyone born or naturalized in the states, including former slaves. Um, and they didn't like the equal protection under the law part of that 14th Amendment. Um, the other thing that um, Southern Democrats were still sort of bristling about is of course the 15th amendment which granted black men the right to vote um the right and and coming from the 15th um amendment it's quote right of citizens of the u.s to vote shall not be denied or abridged by the u.s or by any state on account of race color or previous condition of servitude but we know of course that those rights are not solidified until like a hundred years after the fact because they used poll taxes. They would do those yes. literacy tests. Like if you can't read, you can't vote and We're all of those things now. to deny people. And yeah, and here, here we, we are. are. We're still here doing this. We are. State of Florida now has a fucking poll tax. Oh my God. Has a poll tax. If you haven't paid your fines and fees as a, as a, a previous felon. Right. And, 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 and you served be, your time, yes. did your probation, did your restitution. That thing is uh, the thing that people go, Oh, they didn't pay. It's not the restitution. They right. have paid restitution. They've done everything else. Just the court. This fees. is court fees or, or the, the cost to get a new license, which is yes. required to vote. All of those things are, deliberate ploys by our Florida state government yes. to prevent people access to voting. Even though the people of Florida have spoken and voted for amendment for in a bipartisan way in 2018. And it yeah, it was super bipartisan. Yes. It was, there was no way this was one side. It was like, what was the percentage of that? It was over 70. It was, 76%. Over, it was over 70. It was insane. Percent. It yeah. was an overwhelming response to that amendment. And they, it on there was not about paying fines and fees. The legislature then added that to the amendment, yes. which is unbelievable that they stepped on, the, what the voters the will want of the people. on what their constituents yes. want. It didn't give a fuck. It's disgusting. <sighs> All right. So, um, like I you said, you know what? Let's go to Wilmington. I We're know. out. Let's get the fuck out. <laughs> they, had, they had the right idea to get out. Well, well, let's see. Uh, okay, how it was. Yeah. Hold on. <laughs> hold on. So, um, like I said, some of the issues that led to that coup, of course, were economics. So there was this group known as the Secret Nine. And the secret nine were whites in Wilmington, and these were affluent whites in Wilmington who were not thrilled with the fiscal policies under fusion politicians. Things like lower bank rates, tax rates, right, which put less money into rich people's pockets. Um, so this group gets together. Members of the secret nine were uh, Hugh McRae, and we'll come back to that name a little later, J. Allen Taylor, Hardy Fennell, W.A. Johnson, L.B. Sasser, William Gilchrist, P.B. Manning, E.S. Lathrop, and Walter L. Parsley. Other significant players in the coup, um, and frankly, they were white supremacists who held political office, uh, former U.S. House Rep and former State Senator Fernifold McLendall Simmons, a uh, former U.S. House, House Rep from North Carolina, and a committee member of the KKK, oh. Alfred Moore Waddle. And a former New York, uh, I'm sorry, a former North Carolina governor, Charles Brantley Acock. So these were some political figures. And Alfred Moore Waddle is the main guy, the driving force of this coup. So how do they attempt to regain power? So one way, of course, 
is through race baiting and through vilifying blacks. So Alfred Moore Waddle, that uh, North Carolina uh, house rep, he held rallies mm. and he did all these rallies and he would be at the podium screaming about white men and their rights. And according to an NPR article, he threatened how he wanted to, quote, choke the current of the Cape Fear River with bodies. Holy yeah. shit. I mean, he was incredibly violent uh, in his speeches about what he wanted to do to uh, black men. The other thing that they, that Southern Democrats were sort of uh, proclaiming were that white women were being mm. raped by black men. Here we go. And here we go. So how do they spread these kind of claims? They do this through the newspapers, highlighting examples, fake data about the uncontrollable sexual impulses of black men. And according to an article from Ferris University's Jim Crow Museum page, this is an example of what's known as the brute caricature. This is where black men were depicted as like monstrous, violent brutes that white women, right? These sweet, innocent flowers, mm-hmm. Southern bells needed protection from. And the caricature began after the Civil War and was perpetuated throughout the Jim Crow era and beyond, right? And we've talked about this before, right? How does a group in power maintain control? They want to instill fear about the other. And so if magazines, films, journals, novels, etc., are all portraying black men as the brute, then the masses start to believe, right? Right. That black men are brutes. And this bias is still ingrained in our culture. I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's all that's going in my head right now is oh that this God. is, this is the bias that we talk about. Yes. That it's, this is where it started people. Like yes. this is where it started. Please pay attention. And, and it's, it's pushed. And has gone through generation after yes. generation after generation of white people. Like this is where it started. This is yes. where, and they kept it up, kept it up. These are not new tricks that the guys oh, are doing please. now. The Trump administration, all these things that they're doing, these aren't new. No, this, this has is- been going on for for centuries. centuries like this is what happens this is how they trick you be smarter than this see yes. through the fucking fear mongering and oh the bullshit you have to do that because people's lives are on the line people are dying oh, people are of- dying i mean again again they're oh my, I, I can't so there is this book that i read um four or five years ago and it's about racial bias um and stereotypes and it's called whistling vivaldi mm-hmm and I, it's a really good book, and uh, it discusses what it means to live under stereotypes, and how uh, they undermine how stereotypes undermine the groups that are being stereotyped, and the dangers of that, and how those stereotypes shape society. And it does all sorts of things like gender, gender stereotypes, racial stereotypes, and it begins with this story of um, the the author writes about. He speaks to a a black journalist and he says, when I was in grad school, I'd walk down the street at night and, you know, women would clutch their purses or people would cross the street. And he's like, so I started whistling Vivaldi and, you know, like, Mm -hmm. like, right, the classical or like he or he'd whistle like Beatles tunes or something. And when people heard him whistling, it broke the stereotype that they had about the violent black man. Whoa. Yeah. And and he's not, he's not saying like, this is what people need to do, right? Like no one should need to be whistling or to break someone else's stereotype. But but then it was about the psychology of like the image that you have, the stereotype, the bias that you have. And then he goes through all sorts of different examples um, of even children in the classroom and like boys versus girls and how, you know, like girls aren't good at math kind of thing. Right. And how those things from a very early age impact how children learn throughout their whole life, right? like in school. So it's a really good book. It's called Whistling Vivaldi, if you guys want to check it out. <laughs> anyway, so according to the Brooke uh, Caricature article, it's important to note that there was a shift. So during the time of slavery, right, when, when people were enslaved, they did not depict um, blacks as the brute. They had depicted blacks in this sort of very um, limited intelligence kind of um, almost childlike way. And again, that's for the propaganda, right? So like they need white people, right, to help them. Saviors. Right? Um, because they're they're poor and they're unintelligent and they can't, you know, they need someone to help them. 
Meanwhile, they have thriving businesses happening. But then then when slavery is gone, now, well, we can't have the the innocent portrayal, right? So we have to shift it. And then they shift it to this brute character. So it's just really interesting. Uh, what they did it's it's horrible absolutely disturbing it's 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 crazy so the narrative is going around about white women being raped by black men and in wilmington alexander manley is a black newspaper owner he owns a dang and 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 from some accounts it was the only newspaper building in wilmington but um, some accounts say this was like the first black owned newspaper in the whole u.s at the time amazing so he's got this newspaper and he starts printing articles saying you know, white women, uh, they're not being raped by black, by black women. They're willingly having sex with them and they're willingly in relationships. And it's really only when the relationship is discovered yep. that yep. suddenly this rape narrative comes out yes. and, it, and people lose their mind. Uh-oh. Like how dare he suggest that a white woman would want to have sex with a black man. So like people get riled up and... That guy that I told you about, the Waddle, mm-hmm. the, the the rep, he uses those articles as the catalyst for the coup. So they were planning to sort of take over Wilmington, and, and, and there were all these meetings. But when the newspaper is doing that, they're like, this is our, this is what we're going to use. Like, we're going in to go after this newspaper. But they weren't going in just after the newspaper. They wanted to take over the whole town. So they use that as the catalyst. And according to Adrienne LaFrance and Van R. Newkirk, uh, the second's article in The Atlantic, Waddle basically wanted Manley to dismantle the paper and urged him to, quote, destroy your newspaper and leave town forever or we will wreck it for you. And they did. I guess so, they don't believe in the First Amendment. No, please. So the Alexander Manley, like, skips town. Like, he, he leaves. Yeah, I mean, who could blame him? But... Again, this isn't a one-off. Like, they're not just there to burn down the newspaper. They're there to take over the town. Mm-hmm. It's an orchestrated attack by white supremacists to disenfranchise black people. Like, that's what it was. Right. So by rallying and causing this mass freakout for whites, right, through their propaganda, white people do start dropping from the fusion party because there's all of this, like, propaganda. They're pointing to these newspaper articles, and, and people are, are, are leaving the fusion party. And the Southern Democrats... Um, again, led by Waddle, were able to rally people to their side and plan the attack. And in addition, according to the Zinn Education Project, Waddle even created what he termed, quote, the White Declaration of Independence. Oh, my God. And he carried that with him on the day of the attack. So what happened that day? So according to Tequila Ali Johnson's Black Past article, a few days after the November 1898 elections, so during... The 1894 elections, 1896 elections, the Fusion Party, like, won all these seats. And again, in 1898, like, all these seats are won. And um, a few days after that election, and about a week or so after um, Alex Manley publishes those articles, Waddle, and some accounts say with 500 armed men, other accounts say 1,500 armed men, they they roll into Wilmington to take over the city. (laughs) So early articles that are now debunked, but early articles, according to Ronnie Faulkner's Wilmington Race Riot, noted that blacks fired the first shot and the white mob nearly retaliated. But we know now that that's not the case. So Faulkner further notes that the first place they hit is the Daily Record, is the newspaper. They set Mm. fire to it. They destroy the press. They trash the building. No, And... They even prevented, so black firefighters came in to try to put this fire out, and they did not allow them to even get through until, like, the building's gone. So I have a picture of the mob, like, in front of the building. Wow. Um, it's it's terrible. Then, so again, this is orchestrated. So they then targeted predominantly black political areas and started shooting. And accounts vary saying that it, it was anywhere between 60 to 300 people who were killed. <gasps> Tina. Yeah, no, 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 no. Wait, 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 wait a second. What? Yeah. 60 to 300 people? Yes, they went in and just started shooting. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. The mob not only attacked and ran blacks out of town, but also any white people who were supportive of blacks at the time. So they just, like, they go in like guns blazing. This is unbelievable. So... The aftermath of all of this, according to Johnson, blacks hid out in swamps and cemeteries and Waddle's group forced 
the city officials to resign. So they show up to all of those elected officials and they're like, you're going to resign. It's like, uh, you know, it's either your signature, or your blood on this paper, right? That's so all right, Godfather. Yeah. So they force them. And so remember he had that white declaration of independence. He oh. busts that out oh. and he's like, here we are. And we, the undersigned citizens do hereby declare that we will no longer be ruled and will never again be ruled by men of African origin. Holy shit. And Waddle essentially names himself mayor of the town, appoints people to all of the positions, and of course, it's entirely of like Southern Democrats, and boom, like they have the town. Please. So, uh, what's more, according to a Wikipedia article that was linked to America's Black Holocaust site, blacks and whites asked then President William McKinley for help. Yeah. Yeah. And nothing came of it. <gasps> I was waiting. Like, please tell me the federal government swoops in and, and no, knocks these this guys is out. Why it's like this coup. This, this coup is a, happens. This is crazy. Can you imagine? Come on. Thousands of blacks left Wilmington after the coup, turning it to a white majority-led city. So before, there, it was a black majority-led city. It was this rising middle class. It was this thriving, just amazing community. And they drive everybody out. And now it's like a white majority-led city. No state reps helped, uh, no federal reps helped. And this is one of the incidents that helped really pave the way for Jim Crow. And it's it's disgraceful, really, and beyond awful. And I just, you know, I was talking to my husband and I was like, you know, and I know it's we can't go down memory lane and play what if, but I just think, like, imagine 150 years ago if this kind of stuff was stopped by the president, by other yes, people saying yes, no, saying no, that's right, no, that's no. right. What would this country be like yeah. today? Yes, I, I can't even imagine. Why are you passing amendments to a, to the <sighs> United States Constitution if they don't mean shit? It's, it's why are you saying all these people are right, have citizens, I mean, and they can vote and everything, and then you are allowing an entire city to burn because yeah. these white supremacists come in? Like, I mean, put your money where your mouth is, you fucking cowards! It, it's, it's horrible. It's horrible. Fuck it, man. I mean, it, it's it's. Ugh. So Waddle, along with the other newly appointed officials, they changed laws in Wilmington. They added a grandfather clause that restricted voting rights for blacks. And since they now had power, no conspirator, no member of that mob went to jail. They, there was right. no, you know, there was no repercussions from this action. And according to Caleb Karen's New Yorker article, prior to the coup, 125,000 blacks were registered to vote. <gasps> and after... About 6,000. This is crazy. It's just like people just stripped, stripped of their rights. And, and so, like I said, the history of the event is whitewashed. In fact, according to the Atlantic article, they state that men, the white supremacists, as we'll see, right, end up as heroes in the story, in history, and the victims were the instigators. So the article notes that students were taught, and this is a quote, the Democrats and most white citizens of the state feared a return of the corrupt and financially devastating rule of Republicans as had been experienced during Reconstruction in the, eight, in the late 1860s. Waddle led white Wilmingtonians in their effort to shut down a racially inflammatory black newspaper and then became mayor of Wilmington after the unpopular Republican regime had resigned. Whoa! Resigned. Tina, this is crazy. As mayor, Waddle quickly restored sobriety and peace, demonstrating his capacity to act with courage in critical times. He continued in this office until 1905, leading a responsible and honest government. The regime had resigned. They were murdered. This is, you know what it, it reminds me It was a massacre. Of. It reminds me of the indigenous people of this country. And oh. how we were taught all these other things. But what yes. really happened is yes. we came in and, you know, Europeans came in and just slaughtered, you know, slaughtered and, and, generations. And of, I grew up at a time where it was like, you, we played cowboys and in, like as a yes. kid. I mean, that's what we call it. Now we say Native Americans, but yes. that's growing up what we played. Costumes dressed up like that. Like yes. I never. Because we were kids. That's what you're taught. You know, until but you find even, out later. Yes. I remember reading, um. I was in my 20s and I read Bury My Heart at Wounded Knee mm. and that I couldn't even get through. I had to, I think it took me like four different attempts to get through the book because I would read it and I, I remember like, cry, it was so 
horrific, mm-hmm. the accounts. And I would cry and I'd put the book down and then I'd, you know, I'd read the other stuff and then I'd come back to and pick up where I left off. And it took me so long to read it because it is, is a horrifying account. Yeah. Horrifying. Oh, this country's got blood on its hands it's, from day, day yeah. one. Day one. Yeah. It's all about twisting the truth. And, and the thing is that little blurb that I read, that was the narrative that went through the 1990s. <gasps> Tina! Through the 1990s. <laughs> so these so are fucked. people living in, oh in this area God. and this history that that's what they're taught happened. Wow. Wow. <laughs> so historians, thank God, uh, start turning to archived newspaper accounts throughout North Carolina at the time to get the story straight. Luckily, there's still the records of those. Because imagine if yes. all those newspapers were gone and there was no evidence. Right. Right. And so, and uh, an article. Um, you understand that that's why the press is the enemy, right? <laughs> like, that's why the press is the enemy right now. Because that is the, fi- that's the record. It will right. all be on record. No one will ever forget. Because we have all of this amazing work by journalists right now. Like, yes. no one's ever really going to well, forget. Well, that's like the whole, like, scary thing in 1984 is, um, you know, the Ministry of Truth, right, mm. is all about lies. And it's the, the, the character works for the ministry. And, and any time the government wants the story to change, like, their job is to go back and change the historical documents as if, like, this is what it was. Jesus. And it's so frightening. It's that revision. I mean, it's it's a... a very hyperbolic version of a revisionist history, but yeah, we see versions of it in sure. our textbooks. Sure. So, um, an Indie Week article by Jeffrey Billman discusses this book by uh, David Zucchino, who uh, it's a book called Wilmington's Lie, and he notes that the massacre of eighteen ninety eight was taught as quote a race riot. Blacks rioted and whites restored order. That's how the white insurrectionists framed the day's events, and that's how white newspaper men recorded it at the time. That story is a lie. Blacks didn't riot. If anything, the opposite is true. Even the word riot deceptively conveys spontaneity. What happened was not spontaneous. It was planned months in advance. Again, thank God for people who mm-hmm. dig in and find the truth. Yeah. So some points of interest uh, with this, and we talked a little bit about it, is the Republican Party using these examples to demonize Democrats as like, look at what the Democratic Party did Without, again, taking into account the shift of the parties that happened, and that always bothers me. Um, the other thing I found interesting is the Fusion Party was made up the, of the populists and of the black Republicans, and they did work together, but that does not mean right. that the, the whites, you know, um, were fully on board with the black Republicans, yes. right? Like, this was... Um, Let's not pretend at, we're all hand in yes, hand. And, and, yes, Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, so... When the Democrats were putting together their propaganda of being the white man's party, the populists who were working with the Fusion Party were like, no, 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 we're the white man's party. So, you know, again. Well, they, yeah, like where were, the, where were the populist people when these right. Southern Democrats came rolling into town? Right. Did Those, they stand in front of the, the black businesses and, and right. defend black? No, they let them. And those were some of the people that were leaving the Fusion Party. Right. Right. So, according to a 1998 Ann Scott Tyson. Uh, Christian Science Monitor article, descendants of the Secret Nine still benefit today, well, at least in the late 90s, from the coup. So there was this, so remember I told you one of the Secret Nine was this guy, Hugh McRae. So there's this super elite country club that was started by Hugh McRae, along with this land that's now a park, which he left to, quote, the white citizens What of Wilmington. And in 1998, Hugh McRae II at the time still did not apologize or acknowledge his grandfather's role. Uh, and he really denied everything. In, in fact, according to the article, McRae II said, quote, history has shown people will defend their territory. There's one thing my family and I don't have to apologize for, and that's my grandfather. Okay. So well, their territory. Give me a break. Yeah. But I was so excited to see, and guys, I really want you to go to our blog and click on the link for this petition, because um, just recently, June 2020, Mm. just this month, uh, according to a Port City Daily article, there is a petition calling for a name change of the park. They're saying, we don't want Hugh McRae's name on this park, and he, as a white supremacist who uh, was one of the people partaking in a massacre, no. 
we got to have this park uh, name uh, changed. Yeah. So there's a petition. So how about if to that? Wanna... How about to the guy who was the uh, the black newspaper man? How about that? Name, right. name the fucking park after oh, him. That would be great. So, you know, we need to strip white supremacy from our country. And that begins with changing the names of bases, parks, buildings, street signs, and taking down plaques. There's plaques in the town as well. Um, statues that are commemor- commemorating these people. Get rid of it. And not in the dark of night, in the light of day. I don't care if it's in the dark of night. I, yeah. I think that they do that because they have to, because it's right. so dangerous. No, I know. No I'm saying like there, but... that it needs to be, this is what we're doing. Oh, yes, 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 yes. Give me a you break. You don't mean literally in the dark of night. Yes. You mean, don't make it a secret. Just yes. take the shit down. Yes. Yeah. So. Um, I agree. Historically, the event was called the Wilmington Insurrection. Right. Or the Wilmington Massacre. And you know me, I love semantics. <laughs> so it's just the language drives the narrative, right? Like an insurrection is a political, <clears throat> sorry, is a political uprising. There's unrest. There's the result of this unrest led to some insurgency. And if you're driving the narrative, you're going to say like you're rising up against the bad government and we had to take it over where massacre, right, is the slaughter of people. Um, it's a mass destruction, and let's be real. In this case, it's an ethnic cleansing that they went in oh to do. Oh my god! Yes. So oh. for me, like you know, the pen is mightier than the sword. Like language is so important, and until we start putting the story straight, like we we can't move forward. So, um, and the last thing that kind of uh, was a really great thing that did happen later on in uh, 2000 was that there was an 1898 Wilmington Race Riot Commission put together. And they developed a 500-page report that established a historical record and assessed, quote, the economic impact of the riot on African Americans locally and across the region and state. Building on earlier scholarly uh, articles, the commission held public hearings and conducted detailed analyses of the written record, both primary and secondary sources, to create a thorough 500-page report. And I have a link to that. Okay. That outlines like, you know, the real, real truth of this story. So I thought it was great that that happened and that got put together and they published yes. this accurate report of the town. So that's the story. Oh, Tina. It's crazy that there's this coup and like we've never learned about a coup in our, on our on our country soil. I never learned that in history class. Like, come on, you got to do better. I agree. And I hope that, you know, this is how turning those stories and, and telling the truth about history and maybe pe- more people understand why we are where we are. You know, it's not about pulling yourself up from the bootstraps when you've had it hundreds Please. of years of bullshit like this. Yes. Give me a break. Okay. So, um, I was inspired also today to do this story, but I was inspired by Charlotte Clymer. She's a writer and an activist. She's really, uh, brilliant and funny. Um, and she's a trans woman, who I, we follow as the Muck. Uh, oh, by the way, Muck Podcast at Twitter. Yeah. Uh, on Twitter. <laughs> um, but we follow her on um, on Twitter. And she posted about Tyra Hunter's story on Friday, uh, June 12th. Um, and I read it and I was moved. And so I wanted to share the story today. And so I'm kind of going to do something a little different. I'm, I am going to talk about one particular person who was appointed and, and did some awful things this week. Um, but... I don't want to mention his name as the main person in the story because I want to honor Tyra Hunter. That is who I'm going to have listed as who this this story is about and not this this other person who's a piece of shit. Okay, Okay, so here's my quote. You know what I really wonder about? Whether he could hear what they said about him or hear them laughing. He was conscious for a while, you know. I wonder if he heard them laughing and just gave up. Sometimes it's hard not to. And that was Margie Hunter, who's Tyra's mother. And she said that to the Washington Post on uh, December 10th, 95. And she's misgendering her daughter in the quote. But I wanted to be authentic, like be real about what her, what she actually said. So Tyra Hunter was born Tyrone Michael Hunter in Culpeper, Virginia. And his sister was raised by their mother after their father left when Tyra was seven. Before she transitioned, I'm going to refer to her by just I just want to say her what they call their dead name one time, but okay. I don't want to mis- continue to misgender her. So after she comes out, I will then call her she. But pronouns are very important when we're talking about trans people, and so it does give me a little bit of a twinge to like say he. But until she transitions in the story, then I will refer to them 
Okay. Okay. You know what I mean? Yes. Okay. So Margie Hunter, his mother knew from a young age that her son was gay. When Tyra was 14, he came out to his mother and told her that he was gay and that he also felt like he should be a girl. By the time she was 17, Tyra unofficially had changed her name to Tyra. And although she had never had gender confirmation surgery, she lived as a woman. She discarded men's clothing, opting for dresses, lipstick, and a highlighted, highlighted wig. Um, she lived at home with her mom and worked as a hairdresser holding jobs at several area boutiques and everyone in the neighborhood knew her. So she's 24 years old. Everybody, you know, uh, her mom was very much like if somebody came after him when he was younger, cause he was gay, she would be in their face. Like what the fuck? Yeah. And people in the neighborhood didn't give a shit. They accepted him. Like it was not, everybody loved this person. So even when she transitioned, it was accepted. So, Okay. Um, when Tyra was 24, on August 7th, 1995, Tyra was riding in the passenger seat of her friend's car going to work when the car collided with another one on 50th Street and C Street Southeast in Washington, D.C. According to witnesses and investigative reports, firefighters and emergency medical services worked, workers arrived at the scene and found that bystanders had removed Tyra and her friend, uh, Tedessa Rank- Rankin from the car and laid them on the ground. So part of what I'm about to tell you is from Charlotte Clymer's tweets. She did okay. a whole tweet thread about this. And then it's also part of uh, reports that I like articles that I found that we'll have in our okay. blog. So this is just there, she's there. She's riding along and gets in a car accident. They, they she gets okay. their car gets slammed on by another car. Right. Okay. So Tyra Hunter was ble- bleeding profusely, witnesses said, and appeared to choke briefly on front teeth that had been knocked out by the impact of the oh crash. Oh, goodness. Tyra Hunter was nearly incapacitated on the ground when paramedics arrived and began treating, treating her and her friend. A male fireman cut open her pants and upon discovering she had a penis, stopped treating her and began <gasps> ruthlessly mocking and misgendering her. The firefighter, Adrian Williams, joked with EMC worker, worker, his fellow EMC worker, while Tyra Hunter continued to struggle for breath. No. All refused oh to treat her. No. Oh, please tell me they, they went to jail or, oh God, keep going. Bystanders pleaded with them, one saying, and of course misgendering, quote, it don't make any difference. He's a person. He's a human being, end quote. The firefighters, who were also the EMS personnel, continued to joke, one reportedly saying, Quote, look, it's a cock and balls, end quote. Her treatment was delayed as none would approach and begin the triage, watching her die and laughing. This went on for two to three minutes. Finally, a supervisor arrived and administered first aid. Tyra Hunter was taken to D.C. General Hospital, where she was further neglected. Blood was ordered but not taken. Tests were supposedly taken with results that were strangely, strangely lost. She was admitted as, quote, combative transgender John Doe with breasts and male genitalia, makeup and female clothes, end quote. Later analysis. Oh, my God. What is wrong with people? Later analysis showed obvious symptoms of being in hypervolemic shock. Her pulse and blood pressure fell as she lay on a gurney ignored by the attending physician, Dr. Joseph Andre Bastian and other medical staff. Oh, please tell me he lost his ability to practice. They take that oath. She was paralyzed by a muscle relaxant, and an expert physician would later testify in court that she would have experienced, quote, sheer terror in that state. She had arrived at the ER at 4.10 p.m. and died at 5.20 p.m., virtually alone in a busy room, suffocating from a lack of oxygen in her blood. Post-death CPR and a heart massage were administered. Um, Richard F. Silber, who was Margie Hunter's attorney, said, quote, this was a huge loss. This person didn't just die. She literally suffocated. She suffocated over a period of time. A life was lost here due to unbelievable mistakes, end quote. Mistakes? So. They're not mistakes. They deliberately. Right. And this is. perform their duties as healthcare. This is 1995. It wasn't that long ago, you know? Okay. That's a lot. It's a lot. Um, Oh, dear God. Okay. So Margie Hunter. Tyra's mother, filed a wrongful death suit against the city. The jury awarded her nearly $2.3 million to Mar- uh, uh, awarded nearly $2.3 million to Margie in her claims that D.C. General Hospital Emergency Room Dr. Joseph Andre, Andre Bastian failed to diagnose Tyra's injuries and follow nationally accepted standards of care. 
The lawsuit alleged in part that Bastian misread x-rays that are now missing, decided oh against God. inserting a chest tube to drain blood that pooled near Hunter's, you know, Tyra's heart, and did not give um, Tyra four units of blood that were available. The D.C. Fire Department launched an internal investigation after the accident to determine who made the crude remarks at the accident scene. When Margie Hunter filed her lawsuit, the fire department stopped the investigation. No one was disciplined, but every member of the department was was forced to attend diversity training sessions. Oh, okay. The jury did not individually blame firefighter Adrian Williams, who was named in the lawsuit and who testified that he was the one who cut Tyra's pants. You know, cut them off. Yes. Instead, the jury held the department liable for $600,000 for the remarks and for withholding treatment. He should lose his job. Yeah. He should go to jail, frankly. He led to the death of someone. Yeah. For lack of care. I mean, that they have a... It's not like a... a, a what do you call it? like an innocent bystander that you're tra- you were called to duty right to save someone's life and you chose not to to me like that's deliberately letting someone die that's like a involuntary man- manslaughter something he should get no nothing so the reason i am doing this story because the reason why charlotte tweeted it and why i wanted to tell the stories first of all i'd never heard it but oh. according to charlotte it is the most famous um, case of a transgender person not receiving medical treatment based on that them being transgender. Oh my God. And so the reason why she tweeted this on Friday on June 12th is because the um, Department of Health and Human Services of the United States has finalized a rule where they are, <clears throat> I'm going to talk about that, but this it, it directly affects the treatment and the medical services for transgender uh, Americans, right? So let's talk about that, which was released on Friday, June 12th. It was the anniversary of, of um, the shooting at Pulse, and it's yes. also in the middle of Pride Month. I mean, so it's like I, I, I can't. It's like a total it, triple bamboozle. We're now gonna like it, it's it's deliberate. Yes, absolutely. It is a hundred percent deliberate. Yes, people can't be that stupid, right? Um, okay, so on Friday, June 12th, the Trump administration filed finalized a rule that would remove non discrimination protections for LGBTQ people. When it comes to health care and, hum- and health insurance, quote, HS- HHS respects the dig- dignity of every human being. And as we have shown in our response to the pandemic, we vigorously protect and enforce the civil rights of all to the fur- fur- uh, fullest extent permitted by the laws as passed by Congress. That was Roger Severino, who directs the Office for Civil Rights in the Department of Health and Human Services. He's the person we're going to talk about in a few minutes. So this rule is set to go in effect in mid-August 2020. It is one of many rules and regulations put forward by the Trump administration that that defines, quote, sex discrimination as only applying when someone faces discrimination for being female or male and does not protect people from discrimination on the basis of sexual orientation or gender identity. So now we're really going to start. This is how we're going to start picking apart laws to specifically go after really marginalized communities. Uh, It's unbelievable. Language. They're using, like, going after that language. Supporters of the new rule said that this is a necessary reversal of Obama-era executive overreach and will reduce confusion about the legal meaning of, quote, sex discrimination. Critics argue the rule could further harm an already vulnerable group, transgender people, in the midst of a fucking pandemic. Of course. (laughs) The rule focuses on non-discrimination protections laid out in Section 1557 of the Affordable Care Act. The federal law established that it is illegal to discriminate on the basis of, quote, race, color, national origin, sex, age, or uh, disability in certain health programs and activities, end quote. In 2016, an Obama-era rule explained that protections regarding, quote, sex encompasses those based on gender identity, which is defined as quote, male, female, neither, or a combination of male or fem- and female, right. end quote. So they made it very clear yes. what that means when they say sex in this rule, in this law. So why are we now, we don't understand. Why are we still confused? Give it's four break. years later. What the fuck are you still confused about? This is the same thing because all of this, and this is a shift and it's not a politician, but an author, mm-hmm. J.K. Rowling. Oh, this bitch. Oh, this bitch. I honey problem we got problems it's unbelievable I know and you know she has such a huge platform and has been so important to so many young people and 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 this is what she does and I also have found that this is an older feminist thing yeah older feminists which I don't know how old she is but like older feminists 
because I've in, I've yeah. been involved in these conversations with older feminists on Facebook, but they are very funny about fighting for quote women that they don't think trans women have a place in that conversation I, because I, it's not biological. If you, I actually had a back and forth with a woman I, I, on I, Facebook who said that if you don't get your period, yes. then you're not in the, in the movement for feminists. Like you know, fight for give me a that's break. insanity. Oh, I actually remembered this now. Remember this yes. lady? Okay. <laughs> that's where, and that's where JK Rowling is. Yeah. So no, it's a problem. It's a problem. Love Harry Potter. <sighs> Fuck you, JK Rowling. Like, I don't know. It's well, now, now aren't we all saying that Daniel Radcliffe wrote it? <laughs> <laughs> and he came out and said, no, that's wrong. Of course. And the so girl, many and the, also uh, the lovely girl who plays, um, my favorite on the, in the whole movie, the blonde. Luna, Luna Lovegood. Luna Lovegood's like, yeah. no bitch. No. Yes. Yeah. Good for them. So Rogers, it's, I know God, it's infuriating. <laughs> it's infuriating. I know. Okay. I'm sorry. So Rogers, Sever- <clears throat> well, well, the part that's really infuriating is if you are a feminist who is fighting for all those things, you know what the fuck it feels like to be discriminated against. I know. You know what it feels like to like fight for rights. And if we are not fighting for black trans women, um, they are the most marginalized group in this country. And when they have all their rights, what do you think your life is going to look like as I a know, rich white give woman? Give me a break. What is your life going to look like? You're going to be perfect if all black trans women have rights. Like that's. I, I don't under. I I cannot wrap my brain right. around people who hold on to like just let people live their lives. Let everyone have the same rights that you do. Right. And call it a day. Like well, I don't and get it. If you don't understand Learn. where trans folks are coming from. Read that's a book. Right. You are wealthy and you sit at home in your fucking mansion in London all fucking day or wherever the hell you live. Open the internet and find out why people are pushing back so hard. Just just try to figure it out. Yeah. And I guarantee you if you come out and you go, whoops, I fucked up. Like I am now understanding like people will right. be okay with it. But she's doubling down. This is oh, not yeah, the she first d- time. No, she doubled down yeah. like immediately after yeah. with that letter. Um, and she's done it. This is the second time this is blown up. What is wrong with her? All right. Roger DeSeverino uh, said at the time, quote, we're going back to the plain meaning of those terms, which is based on biological sex, end quote. So he's a dope. Yeah. Um, and then it's he said It's about protecting people. Well. It's about protecting That's what people. that entire department is about. Health and human services. I, I mean. Not health and, and biological female male uh, services. Yeah. Like I what? mean. These people are being murdered. They're being well, assaulted. Yes. I, it's. We have to protect people. Mm. So he also said this, which I, which is kind of like the crux of the whole situation like this is this is where we are with this administration and the people they put in power it is all about money it's all about corporations and so when he said this i was like well ding this is why he's doing this he said that the rule could save hospitals and insurers and others 2.9 billion dollars over five years since they will be relieved of the requirement to print notices of non-discrimination in several (gasps) languages and include them with any quote significant mailings are you serious Oh so it's okay that we're going to allow hospitals, doctors, health insurance companies to discriminate against a certain or a group of folks so that we're going to save them $2.9 billion. That's what we're here for, right? That's where he's at. He's willing to throw an entire group yeah. out, out the window. So Lindsay Dawson, an associate, associate director of HIV policy at the Kaiser Family Foundation, said, quote, under the new rule, a transgender person could, for example, be refused care for a checkup at a doctor's office, end quote. Other possible scenarios include a transgender man being denied treatment for ovarian cancer or a hysterectomy not being covered by an insurer or costing more when the procedure is related to someone's gender transition. The Trump rule also makes changes to gender-based discrimination protections beyond 15, Section 1557 of the H- ACA, it affects regulations pertaining to access to health insurance, including cost sharing, health plan marketing, and benefits. And then this little nugget, which if you're a fucking feminist, should bother you. The rule could also mean that those seeking an abortion could be denied care if performing the procedure violates the provider's moral and religious beliefs. Oh, God. So, hey, J.K. Rowling, get yeah. on board, bitch. Get on the Hogwarts Express. Oh, my God. Even with the new rule fi- now finalized, an LGBTQ person who is discriminated against or denied health care can still sue, and courts may rule that the civil rights were violated in such a case. But of course, this isn't a possibility for everyone. This quickly becomes an economic issue. 
oh, your rights are violated. You can get a lawyer and sue. Who the fuck can afford yeah. that? Like, I couldn't afford to get a lawyer and sue a doctor. And then when are you getting the treatment? Like, when yeah. you have to go no. through an entire court case to find out your civil rights were denied? Oh How long is that? God. Two, three years? Right. Who the fuck's paying for this? It's unbelievable. Yeah. It's 2020. So here's a quote from a real out there guy. Uh, Dr. Jeff Barrows, an executive vice president for bioethics and public policy, said the dumbest shit I've ever... <laughs> <laughs> I wrote said the dumbest shit ever after this ruling. Health professionals know they must base medical decisions on biology and science, not ideology. We are hopeful that this rule will help steer consideration of gender issues in healthcare back towards science and away from politics and ideology, back to the protection of professional medical judgment and the freedom to adhere to long observed ethical and moral standards. End quote. Ethical and moral standards. Whose moral standards? Yeah. So what is a trans person supposed to do? Argue with you in a doctor's office about right. who they know they are? Is that what the thing is supposed to happen? Is there a science experiment to figure out if they're really a trans person? Like, what the fuck are you talking about? This isn't an ideology. These are human beings. Yeah. Okay, so Roger Severino. Oh my he God. is the director of office, the Office of Civil Rights at the Department of Health and Human Services. So Roger Severino was a trial attorney from 2008 to 2015 in the U.S. Department of Justice Civil Rights Division. He was previously CEO for the Beckett Fund for Religious Liberty, a nonprofit law, t law firm <sighs> taking on cases Here related to freedom of religion. Here we go. In 2015... Severino joined the Heritage Foundation, a conservative think tank geared towards public policy. This is where all these Republicans lawmakers get their laws. These think tanks write them and right. hand them over to them. Do you think these guys are really writing their own laws? Right. No. They've got people like tons of lawyers creating this legislation. Um, there Again, he served so much for separation of church and state. Yeah. There he served as the director of the Devos, Devos Center for Religion and Civil Society at the Heritage Foundation. You know who that is. Yes. So in 2017, oh, Severino was appointed as director of the Office for Civil Rights at the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services by President Donald Trump. He also he's also a devout Catholic and as director of the Office for Civil Rights has made protections of religious freedom a key focus, including the right of doctors to refuse to provide care that contradicts their religious or moral beliefs. No, that was thrown out. He did okay. have that rule and that <laughs> rule like, was thrown out. Imagine. Yeah. Oh my God. So, but this is now the second round of like, now we're going to just focus on this, the word sex and these, and what does that mean? Um, Severino was often, has often been criticized for being anti LGBTQ. The human rights campaign has described Severino as a quote, radical anti LGBTQ activist end quote. Oh my God. In 2018, Severino called the Obama's administration's expansion of sex to include gender identity, quote, radical gender ideology end quote. There's the word ideology yeah. again. Okay. So what's next with this ruling now that it's marked final, this rule, which was issued by the agency of the executive branch, may now encounter hurdles via the two other branches of the federal government. This month, the U.S. Supreme Court is set to weigh in on two oh, major cases on the meaning of the word sex in employment discrimination. So maybe that will impact this ruling. But the two cases involved uh, the two cases involve issues closely related to the legal questions at play in Severino's HHS rule. And the high court's decision might have major implication on the rules legal footing. Someone even said in an article that I read um, or the article was saying, like, I don't understand even why they're putting this ruling out now when the Supreme Court's about to like about to take this case. We'll hear a ruling like why not even wait to see what the Supreme Court says, you know, because it's almost like it is. It's a dog whistle. We're yeah. going to put it out here. We're going to put it out in Pride Month. We're gonna yes. Put it, you know? This is deliberate. Yes. Give me a break. Right. And probably I was starting to think too, um, a fundraising thing with Trump running again. Oh God. Like look at what yeah. I'm doing on all these like really Christian organizations or right. whatever. Yeah, we'll donate gotta, to him. He's got to rally up those yeah. folks. Cause now he can say like, look at what I, look well, at what, what, my what, what else does he have? Right. Right. He's, he's trashed everything with COVID. Right. He's got to find, he's got to scramble to find something, but it's even just putting people's health and lives on the line so that you can fundraise for your campaign. It's just yeah. evil. The, the guy is, is right, we know. an abomination. He is. So now that the final rule, rule is out, Congress does have a way of invalidating it using the Congressional Review Act. That would only happen in this case if within 60 days that Congress is in session, 
Trump were no longer president, Ugh. and simple majorities in both chambers of Congress voted to block the rule. Good luck. Even if Dem- Democrats win big in November, it's not clear if that's a possibility given the timeline. Congress is typically in recess in August, and the COVID-19 pandemic may complicate matters further. What's, more, what's much more certain is that there will be lawsuits to try to overturn the rule or block it from going into effect. On Friday, June 12th, less than an hour after HHS issued its press release, LGBTQ activist group Lambda Legal said it would challenge the new rule in court. Lambda Legal senior attorney uh, said, um, he said, quote, we will be challenging the rule because at a time when the entire world is battling a dangerous pandemic, which in the United States has affected more than 2 million people and killed more than 116,000, it is critical for everyone to have ready access to the potentially life-saving health care they need, end quote. And that is the story of Tyra Hunter. Oh, I mean, what are, what are we going to do? We need... We, we we need to vote him out of office, please. We, this 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 cannot continue. And you know what I always think about too when I when I see stuff like this is when the people didn't vote for Hillary, which is fine. You don't like Hillary, that's cool. But like lesser of two evils, folks. And it's also like they're not the same. Not all politicians are bad. Not all. And maybe there's some skeletons in those closets. I'm not yes. going to sit here Listen, and, and I'm, defend the Clintons. I, I know. <laughs> I'm against like again. the whole legacy. Like, you know. Yes, I get it. Thing. But like. This is what we were handed. And so when you vote third party, because you don't want to vote for Hillary Clinton or write in a candidate, please like stop wasting everyone's time. Yeah. This, this is the kind of thing. These are the things that are happening with the appointed people in office. Yeah. They're appointing people who just are out there to just harm everyone who's different than them or doesn't, they don't live the lives that they live. And when you have the luxury to throw away a vote because these things don't impact you. Like, like you are guilty. Yeah. You're complicit. Yes. Because you're not thinking outside of yourself, outside of your bubble. And it's, you have a response. I feel like we have a responsibility to each other. I mean, that's, we're in a society together. Yes. And, and it, when I think of all of these religious people, it's like, what about all of those stories and parables about caring for the other and the poor and the weak? You know, I, I don't, I don't get it. Like, it's like the selections, right. That you're making, like you're, you're, it's a complete hypocrisy to faith, right. And to, to living, if you're supposed to be living this Christian life. Yeah. It's, it's, I don't, it's, I don't it's understand so backwards. It. I don't it's understand. So it. I know. Um, well, I would suggest that wherever you're listening to this, find an organization that's near you. That's read, that's led by, black trans folks that uplift people in their community and donate money. Yeah. If you can volunteer if you can. time, volunteer time, but give them money and allow them to do the work because they are actually doing the work that's going to uh, help their community. So I would suggest you do that. There is one in Broward called trans inclusive group. They're yes. amazing people. And uh, if you can donate money yeah, to them, they do a lot of even like online live yes. streams. So yes. you can even, uh, follow them on Instagram and yes. and get to know the group and yeah. see the work that they're doing. Yes. So that's it. What do you think? Uh, it's just heartbreaking. I know. I, well, I, we've we need, talked about like... We need change so desperately. I know. And we've talked about like doing... So we had little muck and we have our talking to reporters and we're going to start bringing people on who are positive in government positive elected officials because we still you're right like we need to talk to people who are doing good work i know we this is the muck and we're all about these scandalous stories but you know the reason we volunteer and do so much time to get good people elected is because we know there are good people who run for office and we'll never talk about them on the on the main muck (laughs) yes hopefully 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 not (laughs) but we can definitely highlight and talk to people about specific issues especially you know if they're doing good work yeah and that's a little inspiring to see you know here's all the bad stuff that happens but hey here there are some good things that happen and um, highlight some of those along the way yeah yeah so so stay tuned to some of that so yeah little muck is going to be a fun yeah you know, just the lend of a lot of different things. So we're yeah. excited about it. Awesome. All right. Well, you have a good week, lady. Uh, thank you. All right. Bye. Bye.
If you want to see any photos or take a deeper dive into our stories, please follow the episode notes on our website, themuckpodcast.fireside.fm, and be sure to follow us on Instagram and Facebook at The Muck Podcast. To support The Muck Podcast, please visit our Patreon page. We have three levels of support and different goodies for each level, Muckraker, Policy Wonk, or Bleeding Heart. We can't do it without you. Music for The Muck Podcast, written and performed by Sean Doherty. Coming up next week on The Muck Podcast. But I'm so excited that um, I'm basically Ruth Bader Ginsburg. That's all I have to say. Yes, thank uh, God. That's all I know is that yeah, I was like, gotta, come on, Supreme Court. We got to protect her at all costs. <laughs> like dealing with the cops, he jumps in the car with the flat tire and just books it down oh my the God. road. And he's going How like... How far could he possibly get? Well, he went 80 miles per hour. <laughs> yeah. And... <laughs>